I'm Carrie Miller, and this is Big Books and Bold Ideas. It's a show and podcast where readers meet writers, and it's good to have you listening. Two people, two suitcases, two apples, 20 pounds of candy, and an odyssey that might have given Homer a few anxious moments. Jedediah Jenkins and his mother embarked on a road trip to retrace the route his mother and father once walked in the 1970s. Barbara and Peter Jenkins made the cover of National Geographic and were awaited in the towns they traversed like Hollywood celebrities. This time, Barbara is traveling the 5,500-odd miles by car with her son. And Jedediah is documenting all of the day-to-day delight and drama that you'd expect on a voyage like that. Jedediah Jenkins is a travel writer. His new book is titled Mother Nature, and he joins us from L.A. Welcome to the show. I've been eager to talk to you about the memoir. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. I think the title is really clever because... I have to say your mother is indeed a force of nature, and I I think we'd better get to know her a bit. So we understand why the idea of a long road trip filled you with both trepidation and anticipation. So introduce us to her. Well, my mother is a, a big character. She is Basically, she moves through life like a smiling used car salesman, like everything is an opportunity (laughs) to close the deal, whatever it is. And she's hilarious. But, you know, we diverge in so many ways, uh, ideologically and just belief systems wise. She's a conservative, evangelical, Trump supporting Christian. And I am a coastal, liberal, gay, progressive man. And, you know, she, her number one goal in life was to raise up her children and that they may follow Jesus. And that's not what I did. And that's caused some pretty serious rifts, not unlike millions of families and millions Mm -hmm. of relationships in this country. Mm -hmm. And yet there, and yet I love her and she is my mother. And so I really wanted to investigate our relationship and our friendship and really try to defang some of the, the feelings that a lot of kids feel about their parents by really getting to know her as she was when she was young. You know, the, I, I kind of sensed a subtext that I tell myself in your memoir when my mother and I are on the verge of clashing about something and we clash about plenty of things but i always kind of come back to i've got one mother i love her and i'm gonna miss her so much when she's gone which is you know inevitable and i sense you had this this often brought you back to but we love each other and i've got one mom does that make sense yeah it's a really strange feeling when you, you know, your mother turns 70 and my mom is now Mm. 76. And, and listen, she could probably do a back handspring if I asked her to, she's very (laughs) fit, but it's just, you know, that's a real age that, and, and she's got a lot of life behind her and, and who knows how much more in front of her, hopefully a lot, but you know, it, it was an interesting thing to realize that, she's not immortal and me as a 40 year old man who lives thousands of miles away from her i'm a man and the power that a mother has over her child and the the subtle power the subconscious permission that we're seeking the small words she can use that can wreck your whole day <laughs> and it's i i find that power to be very interesting as a as a grown man living in my freedom Um, I don't know. I just, I find it to be, and I find her to be fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's like a constant conversation going on in your head. Why does this drive me crazy? I shouldn't let this drive me crazy. What is it about the way she just said it? It's all this, there's all this history (laughs) and complicated dynamic, um, and then there's, as I said, kind of the overriding, but I have one mother and she won't mm-hmm. always be here. I mean, the same, I, I think that's why your, your memoir resonates 
so much. Most of us who have that kind of push-pull relationship with our moms can really relate to this. Well, there's, there's a calculation that depending on the intensity of the riffs and the differences mm -hmm. that every child, every relationship has to make, which is I have one mother and I love her and she loves me, but are our differences too great? Is it too painful to be in relationship with her? Is it mm -hmm. too triggering? Is it, do I feel unsafe? And, and for some, you know, I have queer friends who that calculation for them was, I can't be in relationship with this person. It's too painful. And sometimes I do believe that that reaction is an overreach because people, they over-index on their own sense of fragility. And mm. I, I want to encourage people to stand in your own strength, to stand in your own adulthood, and to meet your parents where they are um, and seek to understand them. Because what, one of the great revelations of adulthood was that your parent is just a young person who got older. There's no magical wormhole they passed through when they had a child. <laughs> they're they're just Great. a dumb person who got older. And <laughs> and that that's it like I said it really defangs some of the power and you can meet them as a human being who's just trying their best to make their way through this strange life just like you are. And and somewhere in there can be a really beautiful friendship even if you never really agree on on some major things. You know, I think as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking the the presence of good faith, I think, is really important. Your mother really possesses mm. that for all of your disagreements. And we're going to get into into some of the details of this. You know, if if as a child who disagrees with a lot with a parent, you still have to kind of sense that there is good faith there isn't malevolence in the quality of that relationship mm. what do you think i think that that is a big piece of this I've, I've had quite a few people read this book and and look for the prescription look for the how-to and mm -hmm. one thing that i think is that is that is unique to my mother is that she is bright loving, generous, funny, and she's willing to sideline her righteousness for the mm -hmm. sake of relationship. And some people, some strongly religious people are not like that. Their righteousness is their primary point of identity. And they'll, they'll, you know, dust their feet of their children because they choose righteousness first. And and my mom, I mean, the number one thing in my mom's life is Jesus, no question. But she is willing to hold her children with an open hand and to trust God. You know, meanwhile, I'm over here not believing in any of that. But <laughs> but but her her perspective um, allows us, truly allows us to have a relationship. And, and I think that good faith and that, that goodwill we share is integral and and, mm -hmm. and you can't i don't i don't know if you can be in relationship with someone if you've pre-decided that they're rotten and unlovable you know and or that their motives are bad if you show up with that already decided what room is there for generosity kindness to bridge the gap between big differences there is none yeah you know i think your mother also possesses what I think is really essential in any great travel companion. She really embraces the awe. I mean, mm -hmm. your mother seems to love to be immersed in wonder and majesty and awe. I really admired that about her. And I, I, think, I think that flame flickers a little bit as we all age. And yet your mother mm. has grabbed onto that and she she holds that fast. I really love that about her. <laughs> yeah, she really <laughs> and I feel like I get that from her as well, because I have that in in a large dose. 
she is just mesmerized by the world and by living and you know and she sees god's beauty and god's hand and everything she sees you know a butterfly flies by and that's a gift from god the breeze blows on her face and that's a gift from god that's an answered prayer you know and and i don't know the the way that she sees the world i think colors everything beautifully and yet you know her her beliefs specifically around my sexuality and 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 who i love have been the most damaging beliefs of anyone in my life full stop and so it's a funny combination of things it's the reason i really wanted to write this book is that the the strange alchemy of such a lovable loving curious bright person holding painful beliefs mm-hmm. to me um is 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 like fire and water coexisting in a way that feels impossible to me and so that was <laughs> For nothing else, I just wanted to interrogate the strangeness of her and how such a loving, caring, curious person could hold such rigid beliefs. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it right to say that your mother believes being gay is a choice that you have made? Yes. She she believes that I have been brainwashed by society, by the world, by California, that I've been told it's okay, um, and, and I've rejected the plain reading of scripture. And so she believes that it is exactly as it's written in the Bible, and that the world has gone mad and that the wages of sin is death. And so, you know, she, she is convinced and no amount of evidence to the contrary will change her mind, which is, which is a sobering thing to think, especially of a woman of 76. I'm like, Mm, okay, this is not, this is not a a battle I'm going to win in this lifetime. And so what now? You write, my mother and I have spoken about my sexuality only a few times. I came out to her when I was 20. She said she loved me unconditionally, but she would pray that God would heal me and deliver to me an attraction to women. So until you took the trip, this was the state of things that you you two had. She knew where you stood. You knew where she stood. And what, you avoided conversations about this because they were going to be painful and there was really not going to be much enlightenment? What, what was the, how, how did things stand on this before your trip? Well, it's, it's an interesting, I think, calculation we all do, which is if somebody, if you see someone a few times a year that you care about, you don't walk into the room and say, I love abortion, when you know that that's the most (laughs) emotional belief that they hold, because that just stinks up the room, and all of a sudden, everybody's tense, and you're trying to have, like, a warm, nice time. And so we we don't all walk around with, you know, bumper stickers of our most charged political beliefs. And for her, this is a charged political belief. And yet... It is also who I love and an entire culture that I'm a part of. And so that. And your so, identity, right? Yeah. And, and, and a piece, a, a huge piece of my identity. And so, and yet I come home into her home in Nashville, and there's so much else to talk about besides who I'm kissing and who I'm dating. Even though I mourn that, I, I'm I'm more. I have friends who are very close with their mothers and talk about their dating life. And oh, he broke my heart. And oh, I'm excited about this one. And I, I envy that relationship, but I've never had it. I, I've never had it at all because my mother suspected such of my sexuality from a very young age, and so I never got the talk about the birds and the bees. I never got the talk 
about anything like that, about are you dating anyone? Because my mom feared my answer. So we never talked about it. And so it was just this like funny, quiet understanding that I have a life that she knows nothing about. And we have a friendship where we talk about other things and it's that simple. And, and I don't, I I don't know. I I just feel like there's a sub subterranean, what's the word? Subterranean um, Mm -hmm. current of, well, what about like when I get married? What about when I have a husband? You know, at, at this mm-hmm. point, my mom, mm-hmm. ultimately, she's been lucky that I haven't had that, partially because it took me decades to untangle the religious trauma of being raised evangelical Christian to finally be okay with myself. But I haven't brought a man home and said, I'm in love and this is him, you know? And so that that confrontation, she, she's benefited from the fact that my love experience was so delayed and you know and in this book we we go to bat about that and and i say there will come a day where i do have a husband and if he's not comfortable around you we're not coming home you know and that's her worst nightmare (laughs) Hmm. okay i have a number of questions about what you just said um when you say you spent years untangling the trauma of being raised evangelical Christian. I mean, were you doing that with therapy? And is that part of the reason you've reached what I consider to be the wisest of, of ways to manage this? Mm. It wasn't so much therapy as a community of deconstruction. I was just like, there was an entire current, uh, concurrent confluence of human beings in my life where we all started to pull the thread on the sweater until the sweater was no more. And Mm. it, it, it took a long time. I mean, it, it is an insidious toxin to wake up to your own sexuality in sixth or seventh grade, realize that it's bad, that it's getting you in trouble and that you need to hide it. And if people know about it, I mean, the very word is an insult to be called gay. And and there's no one you can talk to about it because even admitting it is a curse. And so that that is a very early mental virus that entangles into the baseboards of your home. Uh, of identity and it takes a long time to untangle that um and and part of my coping mechanism was to double down on christianity and become the best christian to know the bible backwards and forwards to be the most to lead the bible studies to lead the uh campus organizations because i wanted to prove to myself and to the community that that i feared would exile me that i was the most Um, and it took me, I mean, it, it ate up my entire twenties of just trying to be the best and then realizing that I was selling counterfeit philosophy and it was rotting me from the inside out. And ultimately I was going to step into an identity that was my mother's worst nightmare. (laughs) You know, it, it's it's interesting that you note how well you know the Bible and how immersed you were in Christian theology and orthodoxy, because you can go head-to-head with your mother on the Bible, which I was mm. really impressed with. I mean, for somebody who states pretty openly, I don't believe most of this, you can meet your mother at that level. She's got to respect that. Not that she, I mean, there's times when you throw scripture at her and then she throws it back at you and I sense there's no convincing being done. Mm-hmm, but you can mm-hmm. meet her on that playing field. Well, similar to your point about good faith, she respects me and I respect her. That's I get that, yeah. That is like a key component as well uh, of the like, 
interesting friendship that we have and relationship that we have. I ultimately like I tried my best at the argument of it all with, and, and the convincing arguments that ultimately worked on me do not work on her. And it, that, that was where I really got to understand that when something like her faith in Jesus is so integrated into the cement of who she is, that you cannot pull it out without destroying her. That you cannot, you cannot remove it without removing her. And, you know, my mother going through a, a horrible divorce, raising three kids by herself, cutting coupons, barely able to keep her head above water for decades. Um, and her only friend and her only hope was God and God's plan and Jesus. And, the only child care she had was taking us to church and the only, and, and her big life and her big famous writing life and famous marriage fell apart. And the only thing that stayed steady was God. And so that is so entangled into her identity and into, into her survival that, it, that I almost hesitate to even challenge it because I don't want to see her weak. I don't want to see her confused. One other question um, about this. You mentioned, you used the word righteousness when we were talking about, you know, how to be in relationship when you clash with a parent on a lot of different things. And is the presence of righteousness destructive in that situation? Mm. So I also think that the the thing that flies along with righteousness is a kind of contempt. I'm righteous because mm. I've found the way. And the other side of that is, and you haven't, and I both, I hold pity and contempt for you. That seems to be, even for the views that your mother holds about your identity and the way you're going to shape your life, you know, there seems to be an absence of contempt about that. How, how would you put it? I remember, I remember listening to this fabulous episode of This American Life, and it was about, I think it's an episode called The Sanctity of Marriage, and they, they interview this, like, fabulous uh, marriage, newlywed counselor researcher fellow, mm -hmm. And he studied newlyweds in their first five years of marriage. And he, he interviewed them in these really long interview processes. And then he would follow them for a decade and see, based, based on the interviews, if he could predict who would get a divorce within the first John five Gottman. years. It could be. I, I, it's been yeah. years since I listened to this, but it was fabulous. But he said he could predict with 85% certainty who was going to get a divorce in the first five years, strictly based on one criteria, which was the presence of contempt. Wow. And it's contempt, you know, the, the, like we were saying earlier, when you've predecided that a person, anything they say is rotten or wrong, and you can't even hear them because you've judged them as a person, that their, their words are not of value. And that is something that you're exactly right. That is something that her and I do not have. Mm -hmm. I, we like listen to each other and care about what the other one thinks. And I think one of the things in that great episode is that he said that arguing is not at all a sign of, of coming divorce. He goes, shouting is not a sign at all. <laughs> because if you're shouting and you're arguing, but you're hearing each other, that's constructive. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought that was so interesting. So I we do too. Yeah. We really do have a committed relationship that, you know, and, and I I give a lot of credit to that to my sense of safety. Like I moved away, I built my own life. And so no matter what she believes or what she says, I like I no longer fear exile from my own life which I did when I was a part, like my entire community, my entire life was the church in my 20s. And I feared exile more than anything. And, you know, that it's 
like I said, it's, it's a very dangerous way to live, especially when you're in the closet as a kid and, and you fear the gotcha moment. If people really knew who I was, if they really knew I was gay, they wouldn't be my friend. They wouldn't talk to me. They wouldn't be in my life. And so developing an identity as a child with this fear of if people really knew who I was, they wouldn't love me mm-hmm. is horrible. Is, and mm-hmm. I mean, I'm dedicating my whole career to helping young queer people know that that is not the case and that is not true. Um, because it, it took me years to unpack that. And, and then ultimately, like I say in this book, the final boss of the video game <laughs> is my mother, is my mother's approval. This is a little like, uh, I don't know, list that came to me, which was, we all want to be loved by our parents. We also want to be liked. You know, I know parents that love their children and do not like them. Mm-hmm. And I think we also want to be approved of, celebrated. And you can, you know, you could be the doctor, you could be the lawyer, you could be approved of, and you could not be liked. And, and yet, I think we all want those three. And what's so interesting about my journey with my mother is that my mother loves me and my mother likes me but she does not approve of me and it's this it's this one thing that has like irked me my whole adulthood and and this book is my attempt to like defeat that (laughs) i'm carrie miller you're listening to big books and bold ideas and i'm in conversation with jedediah jenkins now if you've been with us for them from the beginning of the discussion, you are hearing about the dynamics between Jedediah and his mother. They deeply respect one another. They love one another. They disagree on a lot, including the way that Jedediah leads his life. I mean, a key part of his identity. And yet, they decide to take a cross-country road trip together because they are retracing a route that uh, Jedediah's mother walked with his father in the 1970s. We're going we're gonna to explain that. I, I was not familiar with this, and it was fun to go back and read the article in National Geographic and some of the news coverage. But um, Jedediah's new book is titled Mother Nature, and that's what we're talking about this hour. Okay. Uh, before I get you to read the first excerpt, I, I want to talk a little bit about this odyssey that your mother and father, the, the way they decided to do this, Jedediah, is just kind of mind-blowing, too. But, um, <laughs> you know, the the embarking on this trip and then kind of what happened along the way. So will you describe what happened as your mother meets your father and all of a sudden she's swept up in this, let's walk across America how did it happen? Yeah, so it's the 70s. There's a lot of um, negative sentiment from young people around America, the Vietnam War. Like, p- young people just didn't like their country and were, were overall disgusted by it, which is, you know, not unlike today. And mm-hmm. my dad, who was, a re- you know, just graduating college and didn't know what his future held... He, he got this crazy idea that, you know, well, he doesn't really know America. Like, he knows what he sees on the news, but he doesn't really know it. And so what if he walks across it? And so he trains and <laughs> walks from upstate New York, where he was in school, and he walks down to D.C. over the course of some weeks, walks into the National Geographic headquarters and says, hey, I'm walking across America. You should give me a camera. (laughs) Um, They laugh at his face. And then, you know, as he's walking out, they chase him down and say, just kidding. We like this idea. Here's a camera. (laughs) And he proceeds to walk from D.C. down to New Orleans over the course of two years, living with families, washing dishes, living in trailers, living with hobos. I mean, really interesting. And then in New Orleans, he stops to write his first article for National Geographic. While they're writing it, he meets this young lady in seminary who happens to be my mother. And they fall in love very quickly. 
And, you know, she's got a sparkly, curious personality. And he says, well, I'm walking from New Orleans to Oregon. Do you want to come and do you want to get married? And after some very serious no's, you know, she feel she asked God for a sign. And then on the on the day where she was ready to break up with him, the title of the sermon was, Will You Go With This Man? <laughs> and it was know. a <laughs> Incredible. And yeah, and, and so she got her answer, which she would. And so they got married and walked from New Orleans. They left on July 4th, uh, 1976, the bicentennial, um, and walked, began their three-year walk. And, and at the, when that first article for National Geographic came out, they became very famous. And so, and you know, this is back in the, the days of monoculture where there were only a few channels. And so if something got caught up in the culture, it was everywhere. Yeah. And so every town they walked into was with a fanfare and people would drive and find them on the side of the road, bring them water, bring them cookies, bring them pizza, whatever it was. And they just went on this, this great big adventure in the first three years of their marriage. And then, you know, at the, at the conclusion of that, 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 that was their big cover article of National Geographic and which is just such a fun artifact of family history to have. I guess. Oh. Um, but the interesting thing and the, the tragic thing is that soon after in the wake of the fame and, and books selling tens of millions of copies, their marriage fell apart and Camelot collapsed. And so I grew up in the shadow of a fallen empire and of sadness and a tinge of tragedy around this grand walk and and my dad you know kept being famous while my mom was just kind of forgotten and so the 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 impetus of this trip was wow my mom really went on this big adventure and i don't really know much about it from her perspective wouldn't it be fun to retrace her steps meanwhile she you know when i bring this up she hasn't been to any of these places in 40 years since she walked oh it oh my gosh wow and so mm. so it was and she now had enough distance to where it wasn't painful the way it would have been decades before um and and unbeknownst to me she had kept a journal every day of the walk so so it was so interesting as we drove she would be able to turn to the page of the exact stretch of road we were on and tell me what she was feeling and thinking at age 30, (laughs) which is an incredible time traveling experience to do with a parent is to step into their life as a 30 year old and see what they were like. So the first excerpt on in the travel log here is we find you in New Orleans, which is as as noted, which is where your parents have launched their walk together. Um, And I think we're going to hear a little bit about how things are going. It's early days. Uh, you know, the, the shine is still on the, on the adventure. What else do you want to say, Jedediah, before we hear this? Uh, well, <laughs> my mom is, uh, she has a lot, she has a big social life. She's been single since the 90s. And so she just has this really robust community of friends that, that, talk all day on Facebook and follow along with her life. And so she's, she's one of the most active people that I know. And, and so she's always very excited to be on her social media, telling her girls what she's up to. (laughs) Okay. Okay. While we eat, she's busy writing a post about the day hunched over like a 14 year old girl, completely lost in her phone giving her Instagram followers a photo dump of the day. The image makes me smile. I post an Instagram story, a clip of her explaining the contents of our snack bag from the morning. Her phone makes a loud jingle, a sound so loud I assume it's an amber alert. I post another story of us driving over a bridge into New Orleans, another amber alert. (laughs) I realize she has alerts on for anything I do on Instagram. (laughs) Which means every time I play drinking games with my friends, 
or rage against Trumpism or post some esoteric gay meme, she gets a push notification full volume. I'm instantly annoyed. I mean, I know she follows me. I know she cares about what I'm doing. I know she reads my every post because she always writes a paragraph response that goes something like, Life is full of twists and turns, but I keep my eyes pointed to heaven. As the Bible says, Whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. They all follow this format. She addresses what I've written, which is usually some critique of American Christian culture or the side effects of consumerism or death and science. Then she points it to God and quotes me a Bible verse. Suddenly, my mom springs to life from her phone. Okay, we, okay, read what I've written. I'm eating, Mom. Go read it, it'll only take a moment, she says, noticing her food for the first time. She's recapped the day. We made it to New Orleans, New Orleans, or New Orleans. Take your pick, where the living is easy. Day one of our cross-country road trip starts here. We will retrace the historic Walk Across America route that started July 4th, 1976, at 3 a.m. from the city that never sleeps. A saxophone is playing in the French Quarter, and people are starting to sway to the music in the streets. It's perfect, I say. I hope you'll write a recap for every day of the trip. Oh, don't worry. I love keeping the boomers informed. They're chomping at the bit to know how it's going and what we're seeing. They're worried we'll kill each other, she says with a laugh. (laughs) They think that? You know, not many mothers and sons can spend two weeks together, she says. Very true, very true. We like each other, don't we? We love each other. Jedediah Jenkins reading from his memoir about a road trip across America with his mother. And the book is called Mother Nature. Um, You know, I want to come back to something that you said about your mother pulling out the journals and having some distance from a wonderful time of her life followed pretty quickly by a pretty awful time of her life. Mm. How, How long were your parents married after after they did the walk? When did the marriage break up? I think their marriage lasted a total of seven or eight years, including the walk. So maybe five years post. Do you sense, I mean, could you see, you know, your mother processing this again from, you know, the, the perspective of 40 years later, could you see that, I don't know, that bittersweet kind of appreciation for what this was and what it became? You know, I wanted, I wanted that. I wanted to feel and see her processing and going through these emotions and feelings and talking to me about it. But, you know, like, people's internal stories and and lives are, are are unknowable and not so tidy and and she would you know there are many times where she would just sit and look out the window with her hands folded and i don't know what she was thinking hmm. and i couldn't bear to ask but um i think i think my dad was the love of her life and I think she mourns, you know, that that she was robbed of mm-hmm. a life that she thought she would live. And mm-hmm. yet she loves her life and she's so grateful to God for all of her blessings. And so I think there's this tension in her mind of what was robbed of her and also what she has um, that that I don't know if she even processes or or even has the bandwidth to really think about. I think it just sits in there, churning. Do you think your dad owns that? Understand? Because if he didn't before, he's going to after he reads the book, or probably already has. <laughs> well, my my dad... You know, it's just generations are interesting. The, the The boomer generation is not therapized. They're not, they don't, 
they don't have and don't seem to be interested in a lot of the tools that my generation is now finds ubiquitous and, and common. Um, my dad's response to a lot of things has just been, you know what, life is messy and I'm not perfect. And so he just kind of shrugs his shoulders and, you know, he's a man in his seventies now. He sits in his rocking chair and is just like, oh, well. And so, so there's, there's not a lot of reflection over on that side of the tracks. And yet he is, I think it sounds like very accepting of you Mm. in a way that your mother is not. Totally. I mean, my dad is, okay. Yeah. My, my dad is, and this is not always the case, you know, in a lot of gay lives, the mother is accepting and the father is not. And for me, my dad, my dad is just thrilled for me to love whoever I love. And, you know, there's a scene early in the book where my dad says, you know, Jed, if, if, and this came as a complete surprise to me. I mean, my dad's a very masculine man and he was showing me this house he was building. You know, we're walking through the scaffolding or whatever, the, the wood frames and out of the blue, without looking at me, without looking up, he says, you know, Jed, when you get married, if you get married to a man, I would love to walk you down the aisle. And then, I mean, it, it almost knocked me on off my feet. And, and then he just moved on and kept talking about the drywall and the, where the fireplace is going to go. And, and it was just a permission I didn't even know I had wanted and an endorsement that was so, so deep inside me, I feared to even ask for it. And so, you know, he, he's an amazing person. But I, I think, like, going back to righteousness, like, my dad has no righteousness in him. Hmm. He's, he's made so many mistakes in his life that he just doesn't judge anybody. Mm-hmm. Whereas my mom, my mom is not a woman of mistakes. She's, the way, like, the rules it's not been hard for her to follow the rules. And so I think that gives her also a sense of injustice that she followed the rules and life didn't turn out the way she had hoped, which I think adds, I don't know, some seasoning to her in a way. You know, so your mother has to contemplate your wedding day with friends and family and your father walking you down the aisle and her absence. Is that Mm -hmm. where, where you think it stands? I mean, that's where she says it stands. So, and that's where I'll, you know, when that day comes, that's, that's how I'll plan it. And, you know, that's, that sucks. But, this is the cost of dogmatic religion that it just, it just is so (laughs) it's baffling to me. And, and you know what, there's, I I am curious, you know, when, when I do fall in love and I bring a guy, I mean, I will bring a guy home. I'll, I'll, she forces Bible verses on me. I'll force my fiance (laughs) on her. And, and you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if she adores him you know, and, and, and something shifts, it wouldn't surprise me at all. You know, conceptually she can be against something, but relationally I'd be curious to see if if that would soften her. But I, I, but the, the lines are drawn in the sand conceptually that Mm -hmm. are very clear. So we're back on the road and you and your mom have not really had the conversation that you know is coming. But I, I really appreciated your reflections on your mother's faith. I mean, you were, again, with this, this childhood that was steeped in evangelical Christianity and your knowledge of the Bible and your knowledge of the way she thinks about it, you're still trying to puzzle this out kind of where your mother's faith meets her love for Mm. her children and your choices. 
And so you've reached, is it Twin Falls, Idaho? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Would you read uh, from that, that portion? Mm-hmm. We reach Twin Falls and sleep in a weirdly gigantic comfort inn. Maybe it doubles as a convention center. It has an indoor pool that is swarming with teens and their chaperones at 10 p.m. There must be a sports team staying here. Mom and I move into our room, and she turns on Ghost Hunters. The hosts of the show have their hands full of gadgets and are looking for the paranormal in old houses. Do you ever watch these shows? She asks. Absolutely not. Oh, I love them. I don't know if they're real, but I can believe it. Mom does her nightly ritual, puts on her big glasses, and climbs into bed. She grunts and makes theatrical noises in her movement. I brush my teeth and get into bed. I have no intention of watching the ghost show. I'll just scroll on my phone. By now, my ab pain is basically gone, only the shadow of a pulled muscle in my stomach. But I find myself wishing Mom would lay her hand on my stomach again and pray. I want to feel that again, the warm hand of the universe uniting with my feelings. My brain knows that I don't believe an anthropomorphic God cares about my ab. But my little boy heart can feel God's power surging through Mom's praying hands. What if I got what I wanted, and Mom renounced her evangelical interpretation of the Bible? What if she said, I've been deceived, and woke up into the mystic confusion of a world without God? Would I be happy? I would be sad. My mother's certainty is her strength. To see her weak and confused would devastate me. There is a reason existential crises tend to fall on the young and middle-aged. They still have time to build another worldview on which to stand. I watch her watching TV, and I feel the distant affection of a god watching from a cloud pleased at all of creation being just as it is. I know I won't feel this way all the time, but I feel it now. Jedediah Jenkins reading from his memoir, Mother Nature. Jedediah, what's that line again about your mother's certainty? Would Would you read that again? My mother's certainty is her strength. To see her weak and confused would devastate me. I wanted to ask you about that. In some ways, you know, her certainty would be enraging and infuriating because, mm-hmm. you know, she, she gives no room for your very logical and well-educated arguments. So I think this is interesting to hear you say, but I wouldn't have her any other way. Mm. And I, I, I'm curious about why. You know, I think... I mean, this might be getting, you know, anthropological, but I think deep down in the baby chimpanzee brain of a child, we need our mothers to be strong because they're our first protector. And nothing is scarier than seeing a mother fragile or crying or wounded. And I I think that seeing that lights up a deep, visceral fear of unsafety in our own hearts Mm -hmm. and and so i even though i fight her and even though i rage against her i like her being strong i think something deep inside my child limbic brain needs her to be strong yeah but what if she was strong and open yeah (laughs) <laughs> Listen, what a dream. What a dream and and it, and it could and it could be so, but but I think what what I've learned in really studying her is that the the source of her strength, which is my nemesis, which is God, <laughs> is is like I said so intertwined into the foundation of who she is that it cannot be removed. It's almost like it's almost like a brain tumor that you can't remove without killing the person. And mm-hmm. and I see that. I really see it. 
And, you know, miracles can happen and she could change her mind and what a dream that day will be if it comes. But I think really the lesson for me from this book was I have to stop waiting for that day. I can't Mm. wait. I can't wait for permission to live. Even if it's, even if I don't even know I'm doing it somewhere deep inside me, I was doing it. I was waiting on her to say it's okay. And, and what happens when that day what happens if that day never comes? So I, I think we ought to leave the uh, the details of the con the big conversation to to readers. But I do want to ask you what you've now that you've had the trip is over. You've had months to think about it. Where do you think it leaves you with? you know, with your mother's beliefs and, and expressions to you in those discussions, especially in that big one? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think that a real friendship can exist inside an unequal power dynamic. I think real friendships are peers. And I think a dream of any child parent relationship is to grow into true friends. And I think that this book was me standing my ground and learning that she certainly stands hers and that we can meet each other eye to eye and choose each other in relationship in a way that is true friendship. Um, And, you know, I've never felt closer to her because there are no shadows Jedediah Jenkins' memoir is titled Mother Nature, a 5,000-mile journey to discover if a mother and son can survive their differences. Jedediah, thank you for a delightful conversation. I loved it. Mm, What a pleasure. Thank you for your thoughtful questions.